Hey there, sloggy kiddos. Alright, so... I stopped reading at a very, very tenuous moment in the story. So, I will keep going. In case you forgot, or maybe you weren't listening, but... Cedric and Talia were having a very nice talk. And they were staying with uh, one of the prefects, and they were talking about a family they were staying with, and Talia was giving her wisdom about one of the sons, Delton. Delton is rebelling against his against his parents, and and what? I pressed. And he is involved in something very dark, adolescence or no adolescence. She stood and walked to the open window of my chamber. Then she turned and faced me. And I can't read you because... Talia's words were cut short by a brief whoosh of air. Her eyes opened wide with a look of horror. And then she fell to her knees. I burst out of bed and grabbed her. Only then did I feel the deadly arrow protruding from her back. Chapter 13. A Rebellion is Born Talia! I screamed. As she collapsed in my arms, I yelled for Gunther. My hand quickly turned red from the blood spilling down her back. Cedric! She whispered and grabbed my arm. Gunther! I screamed again as I gently laid Talia on her side. Talia, be strong! I will take care of you. Be strong. I pleaded as all of my long-held feelings for her surfaced. Gunther burst into the room with a lamp and stood shocked for a moment as his mind adjusted to the truth of this disaster. Lady Raleb entered and screamed. Help me! I exclaimed, which broke them from their paralysis. Within minutes, the manor was full of frenzied activity as we tried to tend to Talia and discover what had happened. Gunther ordered his knights to search the surrounding area. Talia was tough, but the pain must have been excruciating. I removed the arrow, and she fell into unconsciousness. The wound was deep, and I was worried. I applied a generous amount of the life spice salve to her injury before bandaging it. The blood quickly soaked through. Please don't die, Talia. Please. I was torn between staying with Talia and searching for the wretch that had done this. Suddenly, it had dawned on me that the arrow had been meant for me, not Talia. Lady Raleb left the room and returned with a sickened look on his face, leading, leading Sir Dolfrey. Gunther, Delton is gone. Gunther's face turned red with rage. Where would he go? I asked sternly. I don't know, Cedric, but I can't believe he would have anything to do with this. What about his friends? Would they know? Possibly. 
Sir Dolphrey, bring the boy Carlyle here immediately, Gunther ordered. Yes, sir. I continued to apply bandages to Tulia's wound until the blood quit, quit soaking through. She moaned and looked pale. There was more activity in the foyer of the manor. Gunther went to see it. I briefly left Talia under the care of Lady Raleb so I could hear the end of Gunther's conversation with one of the knights. I don't know how he escaped, but two of the guards are dead, the knight exclaimed. I joined them, and Gunther looked angry and embarrassed. What has happened? I asked. Our prisoner has escaped, reported the knight. Prisoner? I was becoming even more agitated. Gunther tried to explain. We arrested a large fellow a few days ago when he was caught stealing from a shop in the city. Gunther's tone was laced with excuse. Why didn't you tell me, Sir Gunther? I asked. This fellow has frequented our city many times and has never gave us any trouble until now, he explained. We were going to transport him to Chessington during the next trip, but what does he look like? I asked. Big fellow. He seemed harmless enough, although he had a nasty scar across his left cheek. He was a vagrant. He begged for food, usually. Gunther stopped. This is the first day in nine years that we've had any trouble like this, Cedric. Who would have known? I contemplated what I heard and was interrupted by the entrance of a young lad and his father. The boy was visibly shaken, almost petrified with fear. Gunther appeared to be feeling the crush of circumstance gone awry. Where is Delton, Carlyle? Gunther asked. He, he is dead. The boy broke down. His words were almost inaudible, but there was no mistake about it. What? Gunther asked, obviously not wanting to believe what he'd just heard. How? The lad was too disturbed to respond quickly enough for Gunther, so he grabbed the boy and shook him. What happened? I pulled Gunther away and sat the boy down on a bench. What happened, Carlyle? I asked as calmly as possible. The boy took a deep breath and exhaled. Delton wanted to meet me tonight. He told me he had something important to show me. He said something about Sutak being the keeper of the map and that he had set him free. The boy paused for another breath. I looked at Gunther. Sutak? I asked. Gunther bit his lip and turned away. Sutak was the name of the prisoner, replied the knight who had earlier reported him missing. The boy continued. Delton stole your key to the prison, Sir Gunther. I was supposed to meet him in an alley by the stables, but when I got there... What? What did you find? I asked. There were six, maybe seven huge men, and Delton was with them. I hid between two buildings because I was scared. 
They would have killed me, too. He blurted, and tears streamed down his face. Delton said that Mr. Jarrett would, would help him. The boy's story was disjointed, but every passing moment painted a picture that reeked of evil. Take us there, Carlyle, I said. There is much at stake. I ran back to my bedchamber to check on Talia and did not dare tell Lady Releb the news of her son. I quickly donned my breastplate, sword, and boots. I leaned close to Talia and felt her shallow breath on my cheek. I brushed the hair from her face and kissed her forehead. Please take care of her for me, Lady Raleb, I said. I will, Cedric. We followed Carlyle to the alley and found Delton on the ground beside the wall of a brick building. Gunther knelt down and cradled his son in his arms, and tears welled up in his eyes. I held the lamp close to see Delton's wound and saw not only the wound, but also the weapon that had made it. Delton's hands were wrapped around the hilt of a long and wicked knife. I opened his fingers and saw what I did not want to see, the mark of the dark knight. This was the dagger of a shadow warrior. Delton took a shallow breath and coughed. He was still alive. Delton! Gunther exclaimed. Father! Delton's faint speech was barely perceptible. Who did this to you? Gunther asked. He said he would make me a great leader. The boy coughed and blood trickled down his chin. I freed Sutak and they lied. Why did they want Sutak? I asked. Delton was fading quickly. He was the keeper of the map. His entire body spasmed in pain. The map to what, Delton? To what? I asked. He grasped for one last breath. The wasteland. His eyes rolled back in his head and his body went limp. Gunther held Delton tightly. His large shoulders shook as he was overcome with grief. All of us froze. We dared not believe what we'd just heard. If these men were indeed shadow warriors and they knew the location of the wasteland, all of Arethre was in jeopardy. How many shadow warriors are loose, I wondered. How can this be? Everyone was too stunned to move, and yet I knew that I must get to Chessington as fast as possible. Do I dare leave Talia? What if she dies? I felt plagued by more questions than answers. I pulled the Shadow Warrior's blade from Delton for proof of this evil plot and stood up. I must leave, Gunther. The prince must know as soon as possible, I said. The urgency of the situation began to build within me, but the sound of many approaching men thwarted my intentions. 
I drew my sword, as did my fellow knights. Within moments we were surrounded by hundreds of ill-intentioned men. Jarrett, exclaimed Gunther, it had to be you. The man named Jarrett smiled a vengeful smile. Why, Jarrett, why are you doing this? Gunther asked. For the same reason men all over the kingdom are doing it, Gunther, he sneered. Power! We are tired of following the prince in his ridiculous code. Histon had promised us power, something we will never have under the prince. Are you really... And you really believe Histon will honor his promise? I asked incredulously. Look what his men have already done to Delton. You will be next. Jarrett glanced down at Delton. They killed him because he was the son of Gunther. We have not sworn our allegiance to the king, and we, we never will. He pointed at us. Take them to the prison cells, Jared ordered. Chapter 14 Vengeance of a Dragon The rebellion began in Norwex, but we had no way of knowing how many other cities had joined or if they even knew of the rebellion. The tenth feast of celebration was just five weeks away. It was to be the greatest of them all, for everyone sealed to the king was to attend. I felt helpless as I sat on the cold stone floor of the cell. The hours passed. More and more cells were being filled with knights of the prince and anyone bold enough to stand against the rebellion. We asked the newest prisoners for news of the city, and it sounded like the rebels were in complete control. I inquired of Talia, but there was no word from anyone. I was nearly out of my mind, wondering what had happened to her. I did not know if she was dead or alive. If the Shadow Warriors were successful in finding the wasteland and releasing Lucius, I did not dare to think how far the rebellion would run. There was still a chance that the Silent Warriors would thwart their plan. It was all I could hope for. Two days passed with no food or water. We were becoming faint and petitioned the rebel guards, but they were completely apathetic toward us. Finally, on the morning of the third day, water and a bit of food was given to us. But the waiting was more agonizing than the painful hunger in my stomach. Our cells were full and we heard that the rebels had killed many. They had made a temporary prison camp, where many others were evidently taken. Gunther tried to find out about his wife and daughter, but was unsuccessful. The hours passed by, and the days even more slowly. Three weeks passed, and I began to wonder if there was any hope of being discovered by our fellow knights this far north in the kingdom. On the morning of the twenty-second day, our food and water came as usual. Three guards delivered our food. Two entered the prison hallway, 
but the third was delayed. When he came in, he wore a hood that covered most of his face. He did not stop at the nearest cell as was usual, and the prisoners there made a ruckus. The other two guards turned around to see what was the matter. The hooded guard drew a sword that I recognized in an instant. The other guards dropped their trays of bread and began to draw their swords, but Talia was too quick for them. Within a moment, both guards lay dead on the stone floor. We were all stunned to silence, and I couldn't believe my eyes. Talia threw back the hood and searched the cells. All the knights were to their feet and quietly cheered. I was ecstatic to see that that pretty face of hers and called to her quietly. Talia found me, opened my cell, and gave the keys to the other knights within, who in turn quickly opened all the other cells. I grabbed Talia and smiled with a joy that I had thought was lost forever. I hugged her tightly. Ah, careful, she said and winced. I'm sorry. I felt foolish for momentarily forgetting her wound. Thank the king you're alive. I stepped back and looked at her. How? I'll explain later, she said and smiled at me as she had never had before. She briefly put her hand on my cheek. For almost ten years, I had looked for the smallest hint of affirmation from Talia, and I found it in that single small act. I brought you a present, she said, and opened her cloak to reveal my sword. She handed it to me, and I numbly took it as I tried to shake myself back to the reality of our situation. She turned to exit the cell, but I grabbed her arm. She looked back at me over her shoulder. Thank you. I was grateful for more than my sword. She smiled a knowing smile. We quickly and quietly marshaled ourselves into the hall, into the prison hall. Gunther, Talia, and I moved closest to the door that exited the hall. There are five guards in the main guard room. Two are still asleep, Talia whispered to the men. Approximately forty knights of the prince stood behind us, waiting to fight for the king, barehanded if need be. Gunther spoke softly. There are three other prison halls like this one, all probably full of fellow knights. It's a good bet they are being given their rations now, too. We must move quickly to catch them off guard. Split into three teams, one for each hall, I ordered. Secure the doors until we can recover the main guard room and get swords to you. We readied ourselves and opened the door slowly until the room was visible. The first guard spotted us, and we burst into the room, all forty of us. Talia and I made quick work of the nearest two guards. Gunther and a fellow knight recovered their swords and joined us as we engaged the remaining guards. Within moments, we controlled the main guard room. Shortly after that, we controlled the entire prison.
we locked the rebel guards in the cells and formulated a plan to recover the city. We exited the prison and discovered no resistance in the city of Norwex. It was baffling. There appeared to be no rebels anywhere other than the prison. We encountered women, children, and an occasional older man, but no rebels. At the location of the temporary prison, we found only a handful of guards, and they relinquished without a fight. We released all of the prisoners. Two knights of the prince were among them, as well as Gunther's entire household. Gunther! Raleb shouted and ran to him with little Ava following close behind. Raleb, you're all right! Gunther knelt down and hugged Ava tightly. Talia walked to Raleb and embraced her. Thank you. I am so thankful you survived, Lady Talia, Raleb said. Talia turned to me. When the rebels came to the manor, Lady Raleb hid me in a secret chamber with food and water. The life spice healed me but I did not dare leave until I felt I could use my sword effectively. It was difficult to be patient. I turned to the two knights that had, that had been held captive in the temporary prison, hoping that they may have seen something to help explain what had happened. Gentlemen, can you help shed some light on what happened? Yes, Sir Cedric, one said, then paused as if, unwilling to reveal what he knew. They came from the northeast, shadow warriors, thousands of them. His words hit me like a hammer. Lucius? Did you see L Lucius? The knights lowered their eyes and nodded affirmation. So the pits of the wasteland gave up their evil host, I thought simply because the wicked heart of man wanted it. And the rebels, Gunther asked. They joined the Shadow Warriors and left Norwex over seven days ago. We don't know where they were going, replied one of the guards. I know. I turned to face Gunther. The tenth feast is less than two weeks away. It is the gathering of all the knights of the prince and all people sealed to the king. Lucius's escape, this rebellion, and the Tenth Feast are no coincidence. All cities will be vulnerable if the Knights of the Prince are all in Chessington. The Shadow Warriors are probably leading rebellions throughout the kingdom. The realization that the entire kingdom was in jeopardy slowly dawned on us all. Talia broke in. A gathering of all the king's people in one valley, completely unaware that Lucius is leading a kingdom-wide rebellion to destroy them. How quickly paradise could be lost again because of the pride and greed of evil men. I knew that Lucius's vengeance would be satisfied by nothing less than the death of the prince and of all his people. Gunther, you must gather all people sealed to the king and get them to Chessington, I said. Avoid all cities. Use the knights of the prince for protection. 
It will become more dangerous the closer you get to Chessington, so be extremely careful. Talia and I must ride ahead and try to get to the prince before the feast and warn him. It may be too late already. Chessington is a distant ride from here. Gunther nodded. I understand, Sir Cedric. The king reigns. And his son, I replied. Talia and I quickly gathered provisions, rounded up fresh horses, and rode south to the beloved city of the king. How we would make it through the forces of Lucius and the rebels was something I dared not contemplate. I just knew we had to do it, for we were the only ones aware of the impending destruction. Chapter 15 From the Caverns of Sida Talia and I rode as hard as our horses would allow. I was thankful for a half-moon, which enabled us to ride even at night. We slept three to four hours a day and traveled the rest. By the fifth day, we and our steeds were spent, so we camped in a wooded area just north of Salisburg for an entire night to recover and build our strength. From Salisburg on, we knew it would be difficult to avoid shadow warriors and rebels. All of the knights of the prince and those sealed to the king would have already left their cities many days ago to make the tenth feast. Talia and I would find no help from anyone. We were alone in enemy territory. We built a fire for warmth that night but kept it small. Although I was exhausted, my apprehension kept me from any sleep that was refreshing I wanted to go on, but could not. It was like trying to run in the knee-high waters of a sandy shore. I rolled over on my blanket and saw the peaceful face of Talia sleeping next to me. The chirping of the crickets in the cool night air were familiar and soothing, but not as comforting as seeing Talia near me. My thoughts turned to her. Only when I thought I might lose her had I realized just how much she meant to me. The one thing I have desired to win the most I have failed in, my sweet Talia, your heart, I whispered softly. Talia slowly opened her eyes, and I became embarrassed. I hadn't realized she was still awake. She looked at me and did not hide her heart from her eyes this time. The flames of fire radiated a soft glow that reflected from her cheeks. I fumbled for an excuse, but she put her fingers to my lips. You won my heart the day we met, Cedric, but I was incapable of letting you know. These years away from you, Help me overcome that. For a moment, I thought I was hearing the wishful words of my own dream, but the touch of her fingers on my face was too real to be the wisps of a dreamscape. I reached for her hand to affirm what she said, and she took my hand in hers. The warmth of my cheeks subsided, and I gently 
kissed her hand. Tomorrow the kingdom may fall, but tonight I have found contentment in the welcome of your words, I said quietly. She smiled and closed her eyes once again. That is why I could never read you, Cedric, she whispered. My feelings for you clouded my discernment. The mystery of the fair maiden is solved, I thought to myself, delighted. Sleep well, Lady Talia, and you, Sir Cedric. Maybe my sleep would be peaceful after all. I awoke in the early morning to the nervous neighing of her horses a short distance away. I opened my eyes but did not move, for I was immediately aware of a dark presence. I could hear an occasional flutter of the wing of wings that sent chills down my back. Talia was asleep, and her hand was still in mine. I scanned as much of the area as possible, moving only my eyes, but I could not see anything. Tremendous fear began to well up within me. I slowly raised myself on my left arm to look over to Leah and saw the monsters of a nightmare surrounding us. Synths. One large synth was just an arm's length away from Talia's back. I could see two more in the trees behind it. While keeping a close eye on the synth behind Talia, I slowly squeezed my hand, hoping she would not move too abruptly. I did not dare look over my own back. Talia moaned slightly, and the synth behind her spread its wings and raised its deadly tail high into the air. I could see the finger-long stinger protruding from its tail. It looked as sharp as a viper's fang, and a drop of poison glistened on its tip. Talia opened her eyes and immediately registered the fear on my face. Shh, I said quietly. The synth opened its mouth to reveal dozens of razor-sharp teeth. Black eyes glared at me, dark as the depths of the caverns of Sita. It began to hiss and looked as though it was ready to strike at any moment. It was a hideous creature that seemed to live for the sole purpose of striking fear into the hearts of men. Talia searched my eyes for help, but I was at a loss for what to do. I released her hand, and she carefully placed her knife in mine. Just as my hand encircled the grip of the knife, the synth jumped into the air. Its wings flapped, and the tail whipped from its high position to beneath its body toward the exposed back of Talia. I lunged across her and plunged the knife down into the striking tail, hoping I would not miss. The knife found its mark as it penetrated clear through the tail and embedded into the ground. The fang-like stinger stopped just short of Talia's back. The synth screeched in pain and flapped its wings violently, trying to free its tail. Talia reached for her sword, but she was momentarily trapped beneath me as I held my knife firmly to the ground. 
The synth dropped to the ground and lashed at my hand, and with his, my hand with its wicked teeth. I released the knife and withdrew my hand just before its jaws clamped down on the handle of the knife. I grabbed Talia's shoulder and we rolled away from the enraged creature. I became aware of the screeches and flutters of other synths and wondered how long before they, too, attacked. With swords drawn, we rose to our feet just in time to see another synth screaming toward me with its tail striking forward beneath it. I ducked and felt the whoosh of air on my neck as the poisonous stinger whipped past my head. Talia executed a powerful slice above me and nearly cut the creature in two. I recovered and we guarded each other's back. The other synth remained, synths remained in the trees, staring and hissing. My heart was pounding and my legs hurt from the sudden exertion of the encounter. The creature on the ground flailed and screeched violently as it tried to free itself from the knife through its tail. We slowly moved toward our horses a short distance away. Once clear of the camp and the synths, we quickly, quickly mounted our steeds and hastily left the area. A few moments later, we stopped and looked back to the trees. Talia looked shaken. Are you all right? I asked. I will be, she replied. She shook her head. That was absolutely horrible. It can only mean one thing, Cedric. I turned and looked to the south. Yes, I know. Talia reached for my hand. Thank you. You're welcome, and thank you. We both took a deep breath. If you'd like, we can go back for your knife, I said with a smile. She laughed. I think I'd rather leave it with a synth. Talia and I rode a bit further and then stopped briefly for a quick breakfast before continu continuing out our journey south. Three days later, on the morning of the second day of the tenth feast, we approached the Chessington Valley. On any normal day, we could have made Chessington by noon, but this was not a normal day. We crested a ridge of the rolling green plains north of the valley and nearly froze at what we saw. A massive army of destruction, larger than any force I had ever seen, blanketed the area. We quickly retreated and found better cover in a grove of trees, which also afforded a higher and clearer vantage point to spy on the force. We moved to the edge of the trees, and, and as we watched, smaller armies continued to join from all directions except the south, where Chessington was ironically celebrating the tenth year of peace and prosperity of the kingdom. Talia, even if all of the king's silent warriors were here, we still could not overcome an evil army of this size. Look, even more are still coming, I exclaimed. What could Lucius have promised the cities of the kingdom to raise such an army as this? Talia shook her head in disbelief. How can we possibly get through this mass of warriors to the valley? she asked. 
You can't. The voice came from the trees behind us. Talia and I quickly turned about, drawing our swords as we did. We were so preoccupied with the evil before us that we hadn't sensed a presence behind us. Five massive shadow warriors. The appearance of shadow warrior, the appearance of a shadow warrior is daunting indeed, but these wore a look of consuming hate and revenge for their years condemned to the prison pits of the wasteland. As they glared at us, they immediately recognized the mark of the prince upon our breastplates and swords. Two of them cursed and charged upon us. The other three followed close behind. Though tired from the long journey, my heart quickened, and the rush of the fight immediately empowered my arms and legs to battle-ready strength. I did not dare consider our odds of surviving. I did, however, momentarily consider the cost of our fa failure, the kingdom. I tried to formulate some plan that would allow Talia to escape to warn the prince of the evil army that would soon encompass Chessington. Whatever that plan, it would surely cost me my life. Talia and I readied ourselves as the first two brutes stormed at us without hesitation. We separated slightly, for this fight would require more from us in the way of speed, power, agility, and strategy than any other fight before. Talia feigned the look of a frightened, inept knight. At least, I hope it was a ploy. The other shadow warrior bore down on me aggressively. We needed to overcome these first two adversaries quickly if there was any chance of surviving. Talia's foe initially made a massive vertical cut upon her. She used both hands on her sword to stop the blow of his wicked sword, but it appeared to be too much for her to stop. She gave with the blow and dropped to the ground on one knee. The warrior smiled evilly and recoiled for another vertical strike. As he did, Talia spun her body with the speed of a panther and brought her screaming sword around in an arc with such power that her blade brought a quick and immediate end to her shocked opponent. He fell to the ground with a thud. My adversary recklessly brought blow after blow as I countered and retreated slightly. He thrust my chest, which I quickly parried left and followed with a thrust of my own. He could not recover quickly enough, and my blade penetrated deep into his torso. He fell to the ground, unable to utter his final curse. The remaining three warriors appeared momentarily shocked at the sight of their two fallen companions. Two of them engaged me while the other faced Talia. We would have to rely upon all of the training of the prince if we hoped to survive these wicked adversaries. The two I faced immediately separated to divide my attention. I had trained for such situations in the past, but never against shadow warriors. I quickened the speed of my sword to counter their cuts and tried to tried to maneuver toward a large tree to protect at least one side of me. Talia was heavily engaged with her opponent, 
but was holding her own. One of my challengers executed a quick combination, which I countered, but the other saw my distraction and lunged with a thrust aimed at my torso. I turned sideways and moved just enough to miss the thrust from behind me. His sword passed close to my chest as the other warrior brought a mid-high cut at me. I jumped toward the warrior with the extended thrust to miss the other's cut, and I heard him grunt as I impacted his chest with the full force of my body, which sent him reeling backward far enough for me to recover and advance on the other warrior. My time was short, so I abandoned caution and attacked so quickly that he did not expect the verdict, the final vertical cut that nearly caused him to lose his sword. He fumbled for just a moment. A moment too long. And my sword found its mark as he dropped to the ground dead. I turned to face my remaining foe, only to see his blade racing toward my throat. I pulled my sword up just in time to meet his powerful blow, but it was too much force for me, and my sword was thrown from my grip. I screamed as his blade ripped through my left shoulder. I fell to the ground to retrieve my sword, but the shadow warrior swung his deadly weapon high in the air to deal his final death blow. He did not finish, however, for just as he was about to strike, Talia's blade sliced through his chest from behind. She had been victorious over her enemy and had come to my aid at the last moment. It was all over very quickly. I leaned up against a tree, and Talia came to attend to my wound. She retrieved a bandage from her horse and wrapped my shoulders speedily since we were not sure if others might come. As she did, I studied the region and realized that we had to travel further east to skirt the enemy before resuming our route to the valley. It would cost us time, but we had no choice. I hoped we would reach the valley before Lucius had positioned his forces and began his attack. Our task seemed futile, for I felt like we were attempting to outrun a Bantine dust storm with no place to hide. At least the shadow warriors on the ground about us would not foil our warning to the prince. At least the shadow warriors on the ground about us would not foil our warning to the prince. Okay, and that's the end of chapter 15. I'm going to pause here, you kiddos, because uh, I can't finish the podcast in an hour, but it looks like I can finish the book. So i got to hit stop, and then I'll pick up here in the next section. Okay, chapter 16. I was going to go back and re- read that really nice romantic part with Cedric and Talia, but ah, we can skip it. If anybody really wants me to, I can read it again when I get home. How's that sound? If you're brave enough to ask, I'm brave enough to read it again. Anyways, chapter 16 is called The Tenth Feast. 
By mid-afternoon, Talia and I crested the east ridge of the Chessington Valley just north of the city. The valley pulsed with celebration and ceremony. With the exception of the people from Norwex, all the king's people and all the knights of the prince appeared to be present. It was the largest gathering in the history of a Rethtray. Many, many thousands. The sky was bright blue, and the sun radiated its warmth on the king's tenth celebration feast. We paused for just a moment to look northward toward the looming disaster. Every now, even now I could see the faint lines of Lucius's forces coalescing on the valley. Talia and I pressed our steeds into their final full gallop and reached the edge of the courtyard of the feast. We forced our way through the throng of people to the main platform, where I hoped to find the prince. A ceremony to honor the knights of the prince was in process as we ran to the front of the platform to capture the prince's attention. The knights all applauded, perhaps assuming we had been delayed due to some inconvenience. I saw my fellow knights smiling in their ignorance, full of glee. But some saw my bandaged shoulder, and their faces turned serious in an instant. The prince held up his hands to hush the knights and the people. His countenance was unexpectedly stern, almost as though he knew my news was a vil report. The throng fell to silence for the prince. Sir Cedric of Chessington, what is so urgent? he asked. I shouted loud enough for the knights to hear as well. My prince, we have just returned from Norwex. Lucius and the shadow warriors have escaped from the wasteland. All of the cities of the kingdom have rebelled and have joined forces with him. They approach the valley as we speak. Exclamations and murmurings rumbled through the mass of people as my words were passed from mouth to mouth. The knights of the prince looked shocked and alarmed. Some drew their swords. Leonad, Tess, Gavanaugh, Kena, Weston, William, Rob, Barrett, and Cullen stepped forward nearer to the prince. In a moment, fear swept through the assembly as everyone began to scan the horizons for this massive force of destruction of which I had just spoken. The prince looked to the horizon as well, but I saw no fear upon his noble brow. His eyes could always see what we could not. I studied his face, for in his countenance rested my assurance and my faith in the future. Somehow the powerful, the powerful confidence of his kingly form did not falter for even an instant. How, how, my king, can there be any salvation for your people now? I thought in wonder as I, by, as I beheld the glory of his face. He dropped his gaze to Talia and me. You have risked your lives to bring me this warning. Well done, Cedric. Well done, Talia. The prince turned to face his knights. Knights of the prince, 
Surround my people with your swords drawn and ready for battle. Do not engage the enemy until you hear my command to do so. Go! All the knights drew their swords and began to disperse to the perimeter of the people. The prince called Leonad, Tess, Gavanaugh, Kena, Weston, William, Rob, Barrett, Cullen, Talia, and me to his side. Follow me, he commanded, and marched us through the mass of people to the northern edge of the temporary courtyard. As we walked, Lucius and the armies of the cities encompassed the beloved city of the king and the knights of the prince, intending to bring battle to the valley once again. Great were the numbers of the evil army that surrounded us, like the sands of the sea. We broke from the northern edge of the courtyard a fair distance up the valley as our fellow warriors positioned themselves around the perimeter of thousands of frightened people. It was a peculiar feeling. Ten years earlier, in the same valley with many of the same warriors, a similar battle had been fought. Only we had been in the hills with the element of surprise to our advantage. I had hoped it would be the battle to end all battles, but today was proving me wrong. The prince and our small band of knights broke from the people and continued twenty paces into the open country of the higher valley and waited. Have faith, my knights, was all that the prince said. Once again, I was in the company of heroes. These men and women were the emblem of the code the kingdom had lived by for many years. It was an honor to stand with them this hour, even if it would be our last. We did not have to wait long, for Lucius's confidence in his army negated any need for a surprise attack. They came from the east, they came from the west, and they came from the north. It looked so hopeless. Not even the silent warriors were with us. Lucius mar marched south down the valley to meet the prince. Those who followed him seemed to stretch forever. As he neared our position, he halted his forces some forty paces away. He broke from the mass with five of the shadow warriors by his side and approached the prince. They dismounted and covered the remaining few paces. Here before us stood the epitome of wickedness. I remembered face, facing Lucius many years ago in the streets of Chessington just before the prince called us home. The vengeful wrath that shone upon his face today was more ferocious than ever before. I suppose the years in the pits of the wasteland had taken the bitter heart of an evil warrior and seared the lust for revenge even deeper into his every fiber. He bore the deep scar of his previous encounter with the prince, a scar 
that had never let him forget his failure. The prince of all that was good stood face to face with the prince of all that was evil. You have no escape. Your destruction is in my hand, Lucius said with vehemence as he clenched his fist to emphasize his words. Your arrogance has always been your weakness, Lucius, and it will be your destruction, the prince replied. His voice was stern, but amazingly calm. This enraged Lucius. He seemed desperate to force the prince to yield. Lucius's face crinkled in an expression of hatred. Bow before me, and I will kill you and only half of these pitiful, pitiful followers of yours. If you do not, I will not leave one beating heart in this city or in all of Chessington. I will not bow before you, nor will you draw one drop of blood from any of my people. The prince's voice began to rise, and his wrath began to emanate so powerfully from his being that Lucius cowered for a brief instant, and his men stepped back. Even now, with all odds against the prince, they still feared him. In your contorted mind, you believe you are free, Lucius, but you are actually a prisoner of your own future. A future that will end today, the prince said fiercely. Lucius recovered and sneered at the prince. He spoke loudly for all to hear. Look to the hills. What I see is your destruction, not mine, he bellowed. The prince glared at Lucius with eyes that burned like fire. Yes, Lucius, look to the hills. Your judgment draws nigh. The prince pointed upward to a ridge just east of Chessington, where Lucius's forces were not. There, upon a gallant white stallion, the form was the form of a lone man carrying a longbow and one flaming arrow. He could not be mistaken for any other, for his form was too majestic. It was the king. He rode his steed along the ridge of the valley and into the forces of Lucius. They parted like the wake behind a ship to allow his passage until he sat abreast of our position in the lower valley. I glanced at Lucius. The arrogance and vengeance in his face had turned to consternation. The king drew back his bow and let fly the single arrow. Every eye in the valley watched the fire, fiery arrow fly toward us. 
It arced high across the evil army and plunged into the soft soil but a few paces to our right. The flame extinguished immediately. Then, very slowly, something strange began to emanate from the head of the embedded arrow. Like the oozing of blood from a wound, a bright, fire-red substance began to spread across the lush ground. It seemed to devour the grass and life-spiced plants, gaining momentum with each passing moment. I saw Tess grab Leonid with a fearful look upon her face. Vactors, she whispered. Leonid looked anxious, too. What is this? Lucius exclaimed and looked at the prince. Vactors of fire, Lucius, and your judgment, he replied. The shadow warrior standing with Lucius stepped backward in sheer panic away from the spreading fire-red mass. The prince turned to us. Do not fear. You have been sealed to the king through the bitter wine. Stand still. His calm voice helped, but the panic so evident in Lucius and the shadow warriors was unnerving. Lucius and his men ran toward their horses as the leading edge of the vactors of fire reached the feet of the prince. They did not touch his feet, but bypassed and continued to spread at an incredible speed. I reached for Talia's hand as the vactors of fire neared us and passed on. Like a rock thrown into a still lake creates ripples that flows outward, the vectors of fire spread outward from the arrow. A pungent orange fog rose up from the consumption of the vegetation. The fire-red color of the vectors combined with the rising fog gave the impression that fire was burning up the city. Lucius was the first to feel the torment of the king's judgment. The vectors of fire reached his feet and began to envelop his legs. He screamed and turned to face the prince one last time. He fell to his knees with a clenched fist in the air and a curse on his lips. And then he was gone. The vectors of fire reached the front edge of Lucius's army and consumed them without a moment of hesitation. Soon the entire army was in complete hysteria, but there was no escape. They had come in rebellion against the prince and the king. It was hard to watch their demise, but it was their own doing. The vectors of fire raced across the valley, consuming everything and everyone in their path except those who had been sealed to the king by drinking the bitter wine. They spread in all directions to the utmost parts of the kingdom, and then the episode ended as quickly as it had begun. When all had been consumed, the fire-red color of the vectors faded to a dull gray, and the pungent orange fog slowly dissipated. 
The king rode his steed down the valley to the stunned people below and dismounted near the prince. The majesty of the king and his son overwhelmed us. This was the end of one kingdom and the beginning of another. We stood here before them, saved and alive, simply because they loved us. The entire valley full of people knelt before them, unified in awe and adoration. He was our king. We were his people. The king placed his hand on his son's shoulder. It is time to take our people home, son, he said with love and admiration in his eyes. The prince placed his hand upon the king's. Yes, father, let us take them home, where we will live with them forever, and there will be no more sorrow. The king lifted his hands to the sky. Rise up, faithful servants of the king. He exclaimed for all to hear. Rise up and be glad for I will take you to a new kingdom. Leonad stood, raising his sword high in the air and shouted, The king reigns and his son. The Chessington Valley erupted in unison. The king reigns and his son. The people rejoiced and I embraced all of my fellow brothers and sisters in victory. Lucius and his shadow warriors were gone. It was finally over. I found Talia and pulled her close to me. I kissed her, and she embraced me. Victory was sweet, as was our newfound love for each other. Chapter 17, The Final Kingdom The king and the prince led us to the waiting armada of ships in the Chessington Harbor. The silent warriors searched the entire kingdom for any others of those sealed to the king, including the people of Norwex, and brought them to the docks. We are sailing to a new kingdom where a new Chessington awaits us. It is our final voyage to to the ultimate kingdom. The king promises new life and adventure that we cannot imagine. My life has already been an adventure of wonder, for the king and the prince brought me from the depths of peasantry to the heights of nobility. Without the prince, I was empty and without hope, but now I am a fellow heir of the new kingdom. I became a knight of the prince because I believed in him. It is a faith I will never let go of, for his love for me is endless. His love for you is endless too. Do you believe? The king reigns and his son. And that, kiddos, is the end of Chuck Black's Kingdom series. So what'd you think? 
I liked it. I thought it was really cool. And I'm sorry, but it just sounds like Talia is the most beautiful young lady. Kind of like my daughters and my wife. I don't know. Maybe it's just because she was special, because she was born in the kingdom across the sea and raised by silent warriors. I don't know. She just sounded super special. And they said she was super special. But I think that was really cool how Chuck wrote that into the story. Way nicer than a lot of movies, unfortunately, we've seen with lovey-dovey stuff. And the factors came back. That's pretty wild. But my goodness, Chuck, what an amazing way to consume the old world with fire or fire-like material or a fire-like process and renew it all too. I mean, those vectors like do the same thing that is supposedly going to happen in the book of Revelation to the the old earth. But it gets consumed by fire in one way or another. Um so I just got to say I am very grateful and I'm extremely impressed by Chuck Black and his writing skills and his imagination at sticking so super close to the biblical framework yet filling in so many details and uh you know just imagine how things might actually be so lots of respect to Mr. Black all right this has been a long podcast because we had a book to finish. So I am going to quit talking and let you guys get to bed. I love you very much. Oh, I forgot to tell you. It is December 15th, 2023. And I am getting very excited to come home and be with you guys. Uh, especially over Christmas. And Lil's going to be home because it'll be Christmas break. So I'm super excited to see you guys. And especially you, Mommy Joy. Can't wait to hang out with you. And there's no school. And maybe it won't snow eight feet. Okay. I love you, kiddos. I will be praying for y'all. And I will catch you later. Love you. Night, night.
Love will make your days come 